Our sermon passage this morning is Matthew 24, verse 15 through 35. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let no one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather." Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So alas, when you see all these things, you know that he is near, at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You guys may be seated. As you take your seat, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're gathered in the name of Jesus. We're gathered before your word. Because we believe that your word is truth. Because we believe that in your word, you were made known. Your ways are made known. And quite candidly, Lord, we need you today. We need your truth. We need your grace and mercy. We need your power. We need your love. We need you, Father. So, Father, we ask that From your word, 
you would reveal your son. And through your son, we would find faith and hope and love and joy and peace and comfort in you. So on behalf of all your people gathered in this room, gathered around this passage, gathered in the presence of you, we pray that you would speak to us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Friends, if you haven't done so already, please take a Bible, turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 24. If you're our guest today, we're so thankful that you're here. Let me catch you up just a little bit. We at Redeemer are working our way through uh, the book of Matthew. And so today uh, we are in chapter 24, the the passage which uh, Sarah just read for us. this past week, I was speaking with somebody visiting Redeemer for about a month, and he said, so you started in Matthew 23. Why there? I was like, no, no, no. We started way, 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 way back, a long, long time ago in a land far, far away. We started in Matthew chapter 1. And the real question for us now is, will we get to the resurrection passages at the end of Matthew before Jesus returns. (laughs) Depends on how you interpret this passage right here. So there's that. Um, I do want to set this up this morning. Um, There is a end times fascination amongst Christians that at times baffles me that I've never shared, but we're going to be really close to that fascination for the next few weeks. I just want to give to us again the words of Jesus. The purpose, this is from last week's sermon. You could go listen to that if you weren't here. But the purpose of Matthew 24 and 25, where we're studying, according to Jesus, is... To help the disciples know what's coming such that they would not be led astray, not despair, and pursue faithfulness. That was last week's sermon. But Jesus says, I'm giving you these teachings for this purpose. That you not be led astray. That you not be led to despair. And that you would remain. So if our interpretation of these things isn't pushing us toward not being led astray, not despairing, and remaining faithful, then then maybe we need to revisit some of what we're enduring. So what we're going to see in this passage is Jesus talking about Hard, difficult events of suffering 
that will precede his coming. We're going to see Jesus talking about hard, difficult seasons of suffering that will precede his coming. And so we pick up in verse 15. Um, What we're going to see this morning is a teaching of ongoing distress and a calling to look always to Jesus and to his coming. So first point, if you want to take notes this morning, is ongoing distress. And so we, we pick up in really this, this whole section, but Jesus begins by speaking of, in verse 15, he says, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place. Now, now that's a mouthful of imagery, isn't it? Abomination of desolation. Sounds like a Marvel movie. Or would that be the other enterprise? I don't know. Spoken of by the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. By the way, the let the reader understand thing is Jesus saying, like, let the readers of Daniel understand that this is unfolding right here. And so in verses 15 through 21, Jesus is speaking of an event That will happen in Judea. So an event that will happen with a physical location. At a real place. In a real time. Such that when people see it coming. Jesus says run for the hills. So he's talking about something in real space, in real time, that can be fled from, okay? This is really important before we start to delve in too much. Something in real space, in real time, that can be fled from. So abomination of desolation, simply understood, is an act and a person who are defiling the holy place of God, an act and a person who are defiling the holy place of God. Also, if we skip to the end, verse 34, Jesus says, This generation will not pass away into the, until these things take place. So Jesus is referring to something real, present, tangible that will happen, that will begin to unfold within the life of these disciples. And history helps us understand what Jesus is here referring to. Because a handful of years later, or maybe a couple hands full of years later, in the years 68, 69, and 70, there's going to be a war and Jerusalem's going to be destroyed, and the temple 
of God is going to be defiled and the temple is going to be flipped upside down on end. This is a time of God's judgment and wrath being poured out. And Jesus says, if you see the signs of it, it would be best to move along. So Jesus is preparing his disciples for a coming and impending distress. Verse 21 calls it a great tribulation. And quite frankly, I'm trying to avoid that word great tribulation because we have all redefined that over the last 50 years in such a way that we might not be hearing it correctly. So a synonym of tribulation is distress, and I'm leaning into that one. Just to get us to hear it a little more clearly, Jesus is saying there is a great distress coming. Okay, Now, I think it's important for us to pause here. We, we spoke two weeks ago about Jesus saying the temple's going to be destroyed. And ultimately, in verse 3, the disciples are asking the question, when will the temple be destroyed? And Jesus says, it will be within this generation, and don't play around. It will be a serious unfolding of God's judgment and God's wrath. And I just think we as modern Christians need to pause and say, as we started to a few weeks ago, what is the upheaval and the judgment of the temple being destroyed? And ultimately, it's God putting an end to this establishment that was supposed to prepare God's people for the Messiah, but ultimately caused many of them to miss the Messiah. So Jesus is saying, there's a coming distress that you need to be prepared for. So this fits right into our scheme, right? Why would Jesus tell them this? So they wouldn't be dismayed. So they wouldn't be led astray. So they wouldn't think, oh, maybe Jesus wasn't the Messiah after all. Now, wouldn't it be nice, tidy, neat, and joyful if the only distress Jesus was talking about was something that happened in Jerusalem in AD 70? Who would sign up for that? Actually, what it seems like Jesus is doing is he's telling his disciples that, that something that was going to happen within their lifetime was going to, to open a season, open a window of time that we could call the great distress that would characterize the world from the resurrection of Jesus till the return of Jesus. And so some of you astutely are looking at the passage, you're going, but, but Jamie, there are things in there that, that are way more cataclysmic and way more cosmic and way more broad than Judea in the year AD 70. And I would say, you are correct. Because when Jesus talks about there will be a great distress, verse 21, such as not been from the beginning of the world until now, 
And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. See, I've told you beforehand, verse 26. So if they say, look, Jesus is in the wilderness, don't go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, don't believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather also. Then verse 29, immediately after this great distress, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then will appear in heaven the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Now, let me save you guys about 20 years of schooling that I haven't had and a lot of reading, but Bible scholars who know the languages really, really well, look at verses 29 through 31, and they say it's a jumbled up word salad of apocalyptic poetry. Like, it's like, take all of it. Take all the references, take all the appeals, take all the rhymes, and just throw it into a big mishmash to say, and everything that God has promised will come to pass. Okay, so, so some of you are looking at me like a dog, like you're confusing me. And I understand. So, so here we go. Jesus is saying there's a great distress coming. And we'll know we're in the great distress when we see the abomination of desolation unfold. I'm saying the best way to interpret that is something that happened in Judea in AD 70. But he's then saying, but this distress is going to go on all the way till the Son of Man returns, okay? So where does that put us? Where does it put us? In the great distress. Puts us in the great distress. Which means there's going to be hardships. There's going to be false Things said about God and his word. There's going to be teachers who seek to lead God's people astray. There's going to be hardship and suffering in the world. There's going to be a great unfolding of all the fallenness that the world would have to offer. And the people of God will not be immune to it. I think this is one of the most important things I want to deliver to us this morning. Whatever you believe about the end times, whatever books you like to read, whatever theologians you love to lean into, whoever scratches all your itches while you drive to work and makes you shout, Amen. Let me just say, take from Jesus the, the stake he's driving into the ground. I don't see any hint of the church being immune from the distress that Jesus is mapping out. And if what I just said is anathema to you, please just go back up to verse 9. Jesus speaking to his disciples, speaking to his followers, they will deliver you up, same word, tribulation, and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's Sake. So if the purpose of Olivet discourse, if the purpose of Matthew 24 and 25 
is that we may not be dismayed and may not be led astray. One of the massive pegs to put in the ground is whatever we believe about the great distress. Jesus is not giving hints of his church being immune to its suffering. Therefore, I think it's important for us to say, as the people of Jesus living in a fallen world, we should expect hardship. We should expect difficulty. We should expect the world and its leaders and its philosophies and its people and its ideas to revolt against Jesus and his word. And Jesus doesn't want that reality to make us angry. He doesn't want that reality to make us embittered. He doesn't want that reality to make us cocoon up and retreat. Rather, he wants us, to, he wants that reality to make us lean into him more. He wants that reality to cause us to say, these are all signs of a world that is broken and fallen and against its Savior. Let us take his message forward. So Jesus is preparing his people for a great distress. This great distress is one that will be ongoing, one that will characterize the world until Christ comes again. And one that we, as the people of Jesus, will endure. So I've said it a few times. Let me say it one more time. Why would Jesus tell his disciples this? Because he knew what was coming. He knew he was going to die and rise again and appear and ascend and be visibly gone. He knew that Jerusalem and Judy, the central of Judaism was going to be destroyed. And he knew that that would cause his disciples to wrestle with the question, was Jesus right in what he said? And he knew that many false voices would come to fill that void and say, no, he wasn't. He was wrong. So verse 35 ends this way. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Jesus wants us as his people to cling to his word and his promises such that we don't let them fall away. So he even tells us the really hard, difficult things so that we will cling to him. So that pushes us then to the second reality 
in this passage. Looking to Jesus always. Looking to Jesus always. The purpose of the teaching is to fix the eyes of Jesus' disciples on him always. Look at verse 23. If anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, don't believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I've told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, don't go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, don't believe it. Well, why not? Where will he be? For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. What's Jesus saying? You won't miss my coming. It will be clear. It will be Loud, it will be known, you will not miss my coming. We've spent the last few days um, with some extended family, and it seems that this side of our family has always had an iteration of that kid who wakes up at 3.30 in the morning and can't be quiet. Everybody know that kid? Well, how will we know when it's time to get up? That kid's like the rooster. You will know. You will know. Do we know? We know. If you don't know, you're that kid. (laughs) We don't know why you get up, but we know that we do also. Ultimately, what Jesus is saying here is my coming will be clear and it will be known And it will not be missed. For example, he says, lightning comes from the east and lights the whole sky. He says, we know there's a corpse because we see birds gathering around it. Jesus not calling himself a vulture or a corpse. But he's just simply saying, you know there's one because you see the signs of it. And Jesus is saying that the next major event for the people of God is that he will return clearly known. Verse 31 says, with a loud trumpet call, and when he returns, he will gather his children from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other, and he will bring his judgment to Ultimately, Jesus is saying, look to me. Wait for my coming. My people will not miss it. Look to me. Wait for my coming. My people will not miss it. So Christians...
you do not have to live in fear that you might miss Christ. You do not have to live in fear that you might miss Christ and his coming. But we do need to be aware that many will try to mislead us and we being aware, believing the truth, must diligently fight to not be led astray. So behind a lot of dense words are really these two pegs that we need to put in the ground. Our Lord is not surprised by the fallen hardship of this world. And he's not caught off guard that his people are suffering for his name. These are all parts of the birth pains that cause us to shout, Come, Lord Jesus, we need you. The second major peg we put in the ground is, Come, Lord Jesus, is the cry of faith. And he makes it very clear that when he comes again, he will not be missed. And when he comes again, it will be known. When he comes again, he's going to gather his people from the ends of the earth and call them his own. What's the significance of this for us today? Wherever we are, wherever we are, Jesus is the hope and the answer. Whatever we're enduring, suffering for the cause of Christ, not only is he aware, but he's with us and he's for us. And we too can endure to the end. Well, how long is that? Till he comes back. Well, how long is that? He'll tell us a little bit more about that next week. But the answer is till he comes back. In some ways, we're all like that kid in the car two hours into the 12-hour journey. Are we almost there yet? How much longer? We've passed three mile markers. Are we almost there yet? How much longer? As annoying as that can be as a father in a vehicle, I'm not sure that our Father in heaven is annoyed by that. Because I think that tells 
us that we're taking these realities seriously. Lord, when are you coming again? Could you please come today? We as the people of Jesus today get to experience the grace and the mercy and the compassion of being the children of God who are accepted by God into the family of God because he lived and died and rose for us. We can navigate a fallen world because we know that nothing in this world overwrites the goodness of God to us in Christ Jesus. So our Father and our God, we pray now you would take these words of truth which you have spoken today. Pray that you would be our Lord and our rock and our redeemer and our hope and our peace. And we pray that you would spur in us great faithfulness to you and to your son. We pray this in the name of Jesus.